In the time of the coronavirus with the collapsing economy, many people on social media are calling for a rent strike. People out there are struggling to pay their bills. They're scared of being evicted in the middle of a pandemic. So folks are trying to get people amped up now to fight back against callous landlords. But is a rent strike really the best way to do it? How do they work? How do you organize them? Is it even possible right now in a time of self-isolation? Joining us to discuss all this is a housing organizer here in Washington, D.C. Stephanie Bastic is on the steering committee for the D.C. Tenants Union and is a volunteer organizer with Stomp Out Slumlords. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Sams. So uh, generally speaking, how do rent strikes work? I mean, it obviously involves not giving money to your landlord, but uh, can you give an example of a successful rent strike? Yeah, so rent strikes are traditionally used in a building sometimes, and that's like a single building, and the tenants are refusing to pay their rent because they want something specific from the landlord. They want specific concessions, improved conditions. Uh, Maybe their management company is scummy and they want a new management company. Maybe they don't want to play some rent increases. Um, And their leverage comes from their ability to pay, but their refusal to pay. So we've had a number, a small number of successful rent strikes in DC um, where we have organized tenants to uh, withhold their rent from the landlord, not necessarily the whole building, but a significant sum of them. And uh, those have been organized both by a nonprofit called the Latino Economic Development Center and by Stomp Out Slumlords. And uh, they've won. They've like triggered the sale of the building, which in D.C. is a good thing because we have something called the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act, which means that tenants have Uh, the first right of refusal, and they can use that leverage to pick a better developer, one that will work with them. They could try to get concessions from whoever buys the building. They could even form a limited equity co-op and then become owners of their building collectively and sort of remove it from the speculative market. Um, So those are a couple options. There have been a couple successful ones in the past two years, but, you know, I can count them on one hand. And Part of that is because it's really hard to do. Um, It can be really scary for tenants. And uh, in a city that doesn't have the protections that D.C. does, it's even scarier. So with the coronavirus, we're obviously in uncharted territory, but it it, it sounds like it, it, it doesn't really make for the best conditions possibly for a rent strike. Uh, based on what you were saying about ability to pay and, and specific demands and such, Can we hypothesize now how the ongoing crisis might make uh, rent strikes more or less effective? I don't know, basically. That's my answer. I don't know. Um, Just because like what's happening now is so different from anything we've ever organized. And uh, I mean, the closest analogy I can think of is the 1920s rent strikes, um, which happened not, I mean, I've seen some memes that are like, this happened during the Spanish flu, and that's why they went on rent strike. No, friends. They went on rent strike because there was a housing shortage, and landlords were jacking up the rent like two or three times over every month all across New York City, from the Upper West Side, like super ritzy apartments, to the tenement buildings on the Lower East Side. And tenants all over collectively refused to pay and wanted to win rent control laws in New York City. And they they won um, because there was some really strong organizing that happened. Um, 
But about that organizing, it happened in person and it happened uh, over a period of time. And we can't do that right now. I don't think it's really safe to go within six feet of strangers. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't, all the traditional channels of organizing that we use are closed to us, basically. And what we're trying to do is maintain the connections we have and sort of lean into connections that we've made to try to strengthen them. But I, I don't know. Um, what's clear is that regardless of whether they want to or not, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of Americans will be unable to pay the rent come April 1st. I don't know what happens next. I don't, I mean, I think thankfully a lot of cities and states have put a moratorium on carrying out evictions in this time. DC luckily has more than that. The DC Tenants Union fought for and won closure of the courts. Um, and that ha that's in effect through May 15th. And um, I mean, that's good. People can't be turned out onto the street, but what happens after? What That's a temporary thing. What happens when the courts reopen? What happens when people can be evicted? And in states like Virginia, where you just have to go and change the lock if you're a landlord to evict a tenant, what happens there? I don't, I don't know. So I think um, the coronavirus just puts us in totally uncharted territory, as you said. And I think what we should be doing is, trying to get people to connect with their neighbors safely as much as they can in a building to figure out how they want to negotiate with their landlord. Um, I think there are ways to do that that are maybe not so treacherous, but regardless of what happens on April 1st, I think we should all as housing organizers, as community members, as people who are maybe thinking about the relationship between renters and landlords for the first time, start to think about what we can do to keep people safe once courts open up again once waves of eviction happen, because I am pretty sure that will happen. Yeah, it seems uh, inevitable that the pandemic and the economic crisis as a result of it is going to force the issue uh, onto people. And it, it, I mean, it seems like there's, you know, two different uh, approaches here. There's the specific building approach in which there's specific issues. A, a slumlord is not fixing things or there's leaks or stuff like that, that you have a specific issue that you can point to and say, hey, I'm, we're not going to pay our rent until this is fixed. And then there's more of these broader rent strikes in response to economic conditions, as you were discussing, that went throughout the 1920s. And when it comes to that latter uh, type, now seems like, I guess, putting aside the social distancing issue here, which makes organizing difficult, but at least the sympathy that's being engendered among uh, the broader population and among even a lot of lawmakers, not including the lawmakers that want people to go back to work and die for the sake of making the line go up. But there is a, there are a lot of sympathetic lawmakers to the situation right now uh, that Americans are facing. You do have people like AOC calling for uh, a moratorium, a national moratorium on rent paying. So if somehow you were able to organize this and you laid out the challenges given the pandemic. But if you were somehow able to organize this, it seems like you would have a perhaps a more sympathetic audience of people in power to what's going on than any other time I can remember in recent history. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think what's really clear is a lot of people are now thinking of this relationship and how unjust it is, perhaps, that people are collecting passive income all the time. Uh, and 
there could be an opportunity here. I think absolutely we should fight for and agitate for a suspension of rent in the same way that, you know, there's already been suspension of mortgages. Why is rent any different from mortgages? I mean, banks get bailed out all the time. Let's put the pressure on the bank. Like, let's make the banks bear this cost. It's unfair for tenants to have to bear the burden of a landlord's utility payments or a landlord's mortgage because they can't pay. You know, why should a landlord get that guaranteed source of income? That seems so intuitive to me. Um, but I think what all these calls for hashtag rent strike 2020 and I mean, what really is like a rent, a call for a rent holiday or a rent jubilee is like the large scale collapse of the housing financial system. I mean, there is no doubt that that's, that would happen. And the de the demand seems to be like a big government bailout. And that that's good. I mean, I think it, we have to have that. It seems it, it's crazy. Like 1% of people filed for unemployment last week, and that's only going to go up. So yeah, I mean, I, I think we should agitate. I think we should push for our, our government to do that. Uh, I think it's much, much bigger than the scale of a single landlord or a single building or even the scale of a single city. But of course, like locally, the DC Tenants Union um, and Stomp Out Slumlords are pushing for rent suspension and a mortgage suspension for the duration of the crisis of the state of emergency plus a month for a cushion because we're not going to be able to instantly pay right after if we've lost our jobs. Can you uh, explain how those demands have been received and also just sort of explain uh, generally what Stomp Out Slumlords and the DC Tenants Union are and uh, how they came to be and the sort of experience that they're drawing on uh, in approaching this crisis? Yeah. So our demands are, I mean, demands. Usually we try to do like the reason why we've picked the ways of organizing that we have within the DC Tenants Union and stomp out some lords and like all housing organizers um, is face to face contact and then direct pressure on the landlord and like confrontation and like building specific petitions and stuff and like building stuff. But um, shockingly, it seems like public petitions and public pressure are now having uh, an impact. We saw that with the closure of the courts. We saw that with people flooding the voice mails of the council members and the mayor. Uh, so what we're doing is we're putting out a public petition for this and calling on people to call their council members and call the mayor to get this slate of demands um, and then beyond that, to try to like organize within their building if they can safely do that, um, to try to figure out how they can negotiate with the landlord. So the this, first I'll talk about the demands. Um, we've got five of them and they're pretty robust. The first is the suspension of rent and mortgage payments for the duration of the state of emergency plus a month to give a cushion. That I think should be pretty self-explanatory. The reason why we're including mortgages as a tenants union is because um, we also think of those limited equity cooperatives as being part and parcel of, you know, a vibrant city. And I live in a group house and my landlord is just a couple. And if they can't afford to pay the mortgage on their house, then I'm out too. Uh, I think the bank should bear that cost. Yeah, they, they could just go to the Fed. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah. But we, we've, been, we've been talking about all week how the Fed is offering up all kinds of goodies uh, <laughs> to the bank. So you're absolutely right there. Yeah. I remember, yeah. uh, I was talking to my, my normie lib dad earlier today about the Senate relief bill. And I was trying to make the case for how shitty it is and how, what we need to do is put the economy into hibernation right now, because unlike previous 
recessions and depressions where you could uh, engage in stimulus and try and get people back to work by investing and by having the government invest in them and invest in various uh, industries. Uh, you can't do that this time around during a pandemic because you can't physically put people in the workplace next to each other. And it increasingly seems like the only option is to somehow put the economy into hibernation. And the way you can do that is by suspending uh, rent payments. And when I told my dad that, he's like, uh, well, what's going to happen to the landlord? Uh, what's going to happen? And it's like, you know, I want to say, well, fuck them. I don't care what happens to the landlord. <laughs> but th the landlord, too, doesn't have to pay rent or pay their mortgage. And eventually you're going to get to a bank and the bank will be just fine. Totally. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think obviously like my opinion of landlords varies greatly depending on who it is. Like I have no respect for companies like UIP in DC that deliberately try to exploit tenants. Um, but there are plenty of, you know, good landlords. My landlord is a good one, but I don't think we should depend on the goodwill of our landlords to survive. I think that's super fucked up. Similarly, like, I mean, that gets into our second demand, which is a two-year freeze on rent increases while the city recovers. Frankly, two years might not be enough, um, but I think the impacts of this are going to be long-lasting. They'll reverberate forever. Uh, well, not forever, but for decades. And so, I mean, we should enforce good behavior from landlords. I'm not sure how much price gouging we'll see. Um, we've seen a little, like someone wrote to me um, through the DC Tenants Union and was like, hey, my landlord is trying to increase the rent 12% on May 1st, what should I do? Um, so it's happening. And I don't think that landlords should make back any losses from this period or the months after on the backs of struggling renters. Again, like the banks can pay it. Um, so we should have a freeze on rent increases. That's it, traditionally called a rent freeze. And if the banks can't pay it, the Fed will pay it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, number three of our demands is more of a permanent thing. It's a guaranteed attorney in eviction cases. Um, New York has this right to counsel for, I think, tenants who make 200% of the poverty line or below. Um, and we, you know, know that this crisis is going to cause a wave of evictions throughout the city, a wave of eviction suits. And, um, there are some free legal services available and a tenant can always hire a lawyer, but guess what? Like if a tenant can't afford to pay the rent, they definitely can't afford to pay a lawyer, mm. um, so we should make attorneys free. And that's something we needed well before this, and so might as well ask for it now. The fourth thing we're calling for is tripled funding and a hugely expanded eligibility for our emergency rental assistance program. We have so little money in this fund, and it is so limited to who you are. It's, it's like $7.9 million for the whole year, and it runs out every month before the end of the month. and People go into debt because they, you know, don't qualify for it. ERAP is one of those things that is aggressively means tested, like many welfare programs, because, you know, you got to prove that you really need it, um, which is messed up. So we should really expand the program um, to temporarily deal with this. And then the last and final thing we're calling for is the enactment into law in its entirety of the reclaim rent control platform, which is something that the DC Tenants Union and Metro DC DSA and 44, I think, other groups in the city, including labor unions and church groups and community organizations and legal advocates and all, it goes on and on and on, are signing on to. And we, we know that all of these other demands are temporary emergency fixes to a city that has been racked by a housing crisis for decades. So we got to do something permanent about it at least one permanent thing. And so that's our suggestion. And, you know, we hope that they listen. 
appreciate you uh, running that down. Uh, it's a pretty comprehensive list. And uh... I mean, there could be more we could ask for. You know, this only covers housing. And there's so much more, but like we're a tenants group. So that's what we've we've been talking about. So uh, drawing on uh, your experience doing this sort of work in the community for the past few years, uh, what would you say to folks out there who are rightfully mad and scared, but maybe all they're doing about it right now is posting hashtag rent strike on fa Facebook or Twitter? What's what's your advice to them? Are you talking to I me? Mean <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do what you should have done all along, which was talk to your neighbors, you know? I think that part of, I mean, a lot of people come together and start organizing in crisis, um, and that's good. A crisis can really trigger more people into action than would have done something, you know, when it doesn't seem that urgent. That's why we see so much tenant organizing when a building goes up for sale, for instance. Suddenly people are like, oh, I see the value in a tenant association, and by the way, you know, I've got mold in this corner. So I think that if you want to do something about it beyond posting on the internet, like you have to go out and you have to get to know your neighbors. And that's really hard right now because you can't be within six feet of them. But, you know, there are flyers that you could use. I mean, if you are in any way um, connected to community organizations that you're involved in, maybe you plan a block party or something, like see who you can contact in your building, who you can connect with. And odds are there are going to be a couple of people in your building um, on your block who are unable to pay the rent, all or part of it. And one thing you can do is try to negotiate with your landlord. I mean, the situation in D.C. is such that the court is closed until May 15th. A lot of um Mediations have been pushed until mid-September. It's unlikely that if a landlord wanted to sue a tenant out of the building that they would be able to do so before the fall. Because in DC, a landlord has to have a just cause for evicting a tenant and they have to file a suit in court. Now the danger is tenants will think, oh no, I got sued for eviction, I have to leave right now. Like, no, you don't, you have time, you have protections. And in that time, I think it's important to rally with your neighbors and think, okay, we have some leverage right now because the landlord's not going to get this money. They're not going to be able to kick us out until the fall, maybe. So what power do you guys have together? Can you write a letter to your landlord saying that, um, you know, we're unable to pay, so-and-so has lost their job, we're coming together, we really want to negotiate with you a lower rent payment, we would like to negotiate with you a rent suspension. Like, I think in the time that we're agitating and pushing for the government to do something, like we can start doing this on a micro level. So that's, I mean, that kind of organizing is gonna look really different from the kind of organizing that we've done previously, but I think it's important to recognize that the heart of organizing is not making pretty speeches or going on interview shows or like coming up with cool hashtags or talking at a rally, it's building relationships and it's maintaining contacts with people. And a lot of it is just like dumb logistical work. And so do that stuff. I think a lot of people have some more time now and are also recognizing the value of those relationships. So lean into that, try to make I've, that happen. <laughs> Get to I've, know your local laws. <laughs> I've seen um, mutual aid organizers in, in uh, sort of affiliated with Metro DC DSA talking about these things called pods, neighborhood pods. Um, 
as a way of trying to reach out to your neighbors to let them know that, uh, hey, if you have any older uh, residents among you, I will be happy to run to the store for you or something. Or maybe not even just that, but just to sort of establish a line of contact. So like, you know, if, if you need anything, uh, you know I'm here. And it's a way of, um, you know, get, getting people together. And, and, and it involves basically just flyering your neighborhood and leaving a point of contact and then trying to start like a WhatsApp chat or something. Um, so, I mean, that that's something people here... I know they've been suggesting too for just with regard to mutual aid. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's really important to step outside the internet bubble to do that and flyer and like walk outside from six feet away from everyone else and like get into that. Like we're going to be calling all of the DC tenant union members that we have and reaching out to people that we've canvassed and stomp out some lords to, you know, reach out and be like, Hey, do you want to organize in your building? Like, do you want to do something now? Can you connect with your neighbors and also ask if they need help? Because I think, I mean, mutual aid is not charity as a lot of people have been emphasizing that can get kind of lost when people like just really need milk and eggs and toilet paper. But what we're trying to do is build up and sustain like the, the heart of the city, which is the relationships neighbors have with one another. Um, and not to be a total Luddite, but, you know, the Internet can sometimes get away with get in the way of that. <laughs> no, that's that's definitely true. Uh, speaking of the Internet, before we let you go, we have to get your take on a viral story uh, about rent strikes, sort of. So Eater Los Angeles obtained a letter from the CEO of Cheesecake Factory, and it was sent to all of the chain restaurants, landlords, uh, among other things. It says, quote, unfortunately, I must let you know. The Cheesecake Factory and its affiliated restaurant concepts will not make any of their rent payments for the month of April 2020. Uh, anyway, some people on Twitter have been calling it Comrade Cheesecake Factory and things like that. Cheesecake Factory spending too much on avocado toast. <laughs> Cheesecake Factory spending too much eating at the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> anyway, uh, Stephanie, just wanted to see if you had a, had a hot take here about uh, the Cheesecake Factory story. Oh man, my take is so hot. I don't think we can say it's Comrade Cheesecake Factory unless they're using their savings on rent to pay their fucking employees. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think it's, you know, I would love to know how much the CEO of the Cheesecake Factory is making and whether he's uh, not getting his salary this month. I wonder what his reserves are. It says that the Cheesecake Factory is tapping into a $90 million line of credit. You want to tap into that to pay your fucking bussers and your waitstaff and your cooks? I don't know. It's the same. It pisses me off because you see companies like H&M trying to pull this shit elsewhere and other like fashion companies and their billionaire owners were making millions of dollars a year and they were forcing their employees to work until the very end and not providing them with like any kind of safety supplies or, you know, do you really need to buy a miniskirt? Do you really need to buy like a polo in the middle of a pandemic? I think not. They could have totally afforded to close and pay their employees. And like, sure, fuck, don't pay the rent, but at least pay your people <laughs> and pay yourself a little bit less, you asshole CEOs. So no, I don't think the Cheesecake Factory is a comrade. Sorry. I agree. I agree. I don't <laughs> think it's comrade Cheesecake Factory, but I do think, and I what? guess, <laughs> but um, I am curious to know how Eater Los Angeles obtained this letter, whether or not 
uh, Cheesecake Factory leaked it themselves. Because if they leaked it themselves, it would seem to suggest that they too uh, get the same sense that I get that people are growing more sympathetic to the idea of not paying rent. And maybe they're just like taking the first jump here for corporate America that, hey, maybe we can get involved here. Let's stop paying rent, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the difference from 2008, at least I hope, is that um, people are seeing that a lot of this stuff is made up. A lot of the rules are made up and uh, we can make up money to inject into stock funds and markets and I don't know. It's like it seems more now than ever that it's fantasy land. And I, yep. I really hope the difference between 2008 and today is that maybe corporate America, maybe your neighbors are seeing that so much of this is a fiction and quiescence and and not fighting back is not the answer. You know, I think there is really leverage here. And I don't think we should take the coming waves of evictions quietly. I don't think we should be OK with massive amounts of debt. And if that means the Cheesecake Factory gets to live on alongside us, like, I guess I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> what if we nationalize the Cheesecake Factory in exchange? Let's do it. We can pick a better restaurant, guys. We just we just would change their well, menu. Once we own it, then we can make it whatever we want. We would, we would shrink their menu size. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm into that. <laughs> Quality over quantity. Stephanie, uh, where can people go if they want to learn about uh, the DC Tenants Union or Stomp Out Slumlords or housing organizing in general or et cetera. You, anything you want to plug right now? Yeah, I mean, dctenantsunion.org. Uh, that's where you can learn about our demands. You can sign our petition. You can find call scripts for the council members and the mayors. I want to emphasize signing is not enough. You should be clogging the phone lines and the inboxes of the people who allegedly represent you. Uh, and similarly, we've got stuff on stompoutslumlords.org. We have um, some long thoughts about organizing in a time of pandemic there. And uh, you can find SOS on Twitter as well if you insist at Stomp Slumlords. Stephanie Bastek is on the steering committee for the DC Tenants Union and a volunteer organizer with Stomp Out Slumlords. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephanie. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you.